0: the rest of you take your bibles and find your way to first samuel 30 is where we're going to we're going to ultimately land today first samuel chapter 30 there's so much in here but uh i'm going to be careful probably just the first eight verses today and in a minute and i'll give sam a heads up. i think i'm just going to read the first eight verses when it comes comes in a minute um it'll be easier to do it that way so find your way to first samuel It's in the Old Testament, not too far in. And uh, we're going to be in verse 30. Or chapter 30, excuse me, verses 1 through 8. So um, let's talk about David. David's a favorite character, isn't he? Why why do you think we like David so much? Why is he so relatable? Maybe I just gave it away. Yep, he made a lot of mistakes. And yet he's still a man after which which makes me scratch my head sometimes because he made some big mistakes. <laughs> but we love that in him because it kind of gives us some hope, doesn't it? It's like, wow, I don't, have to, I don't have to get everything perfect. And when I mess up, how many of you ever messed up? Anybody? When I mess up, um, God's not going to kick me to the curb. Ooh, aren't you glad about that? I'm glad about that today. So I think we meet David And we meet ourselves in David and in his story. Um, Whether it be our best qualities or our worst characteristics, we see them both in David, don't we? So we can relate to him. Um, Chapter 30 here, or this section, really starting in chapter 27, may be David's worst slash best chapter yet. At least it's gonna be the most relatable. So we know what happened. Go back and listen to last week's sermon, which I really personally enjoyed for myself. Uh, chapter 27 the godless chapter we don't hear anything where god's name is not mentioned god is never consulted Uh, it's all about david and his best thinking you ever been there in your life yeah i remember meeting a lady one time years ago at the clubhouse here in wildwood and just introduced myself to her and i said i'm the pastor of the church i'd love to have you come visit she goes nope um god and i aren't getting along right now and you know some things have happened and i'm 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 pretty upset with with god and i just and i just said to her i said well, i appreciate that and i said but can i ask you a question she said sure i said how's that working out for you and her face kind of dropped and she was a little surprised and the next sunday she was in church <laughs> and she told me she was it's not working out very good at all i just needed someone to ask me that question well this is not working out good for david he he just he's tired of running from saul it's been a decade so he jumps the border and he goes to the land of the Philistines and this is interesting the word Philistine um, literally means to wear down or to roll and wallow in the self isn't that fascinating that's exactly what David does David's worn down and so he goes to the Philistines and he just rolls in himself he wallows in David in his own best thinking without God so he goes over there, and he goes to King Achish, and King Achish says, "Oh yeah, well, you, you're welcome here," because he had heard about Saul chasing David for the last ten years. This was everybody around knew what was going on in Israel; it was a mess. And he figured David had had enough, and you know he can help me out. And he did. David started doing some raids and whatnot, and bringing some spoil back to King Achish. And David finally says, "Hey, King, you know there's 600 of us." We've invaded your city. Give me a place to live. We'll get out of here. We're, we should not be staying in your backyard. I mean, we're not Philistines. We're nobodies. Just give me, a, give me a place to live. So the king gives him the town of Ziglag. And that's another interesting word. Ziglag literally means the olive press. Um, it, it is the place of pressing is what, what the name Ziglag means. So my sermon today is called Pressed Out. Anybody ever been pressed out? <laughs> And the subtitle is The Journey Home. Um, Sometimes we don't start the journey home until what's inside of us is revealed. And David is getting ready to experience that in a major way. In a major way. So let's look at the scripture this morning. There in in, uh, the 30th chapter of 1 Samuel. Here's what it says. Now, Now it happened when David... And his men came to Ziklag on the third day. Don't don't miss that. That the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city And there it was, burned with fire. And their wives, their sons, and their daughters have been taken captive. I would call that a bad day. How about you? Look at verse 4. Then David and the people who were with him, now the people who were with him are 600 men, lifted up their voices and wept. Now notice the commentary on how they went until they had no more power to weep. Verse 5, And David's two wives, Ahinoam and the Jezreelitis and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. So David's feeling it with them. And it goes from bad to worse. Have you ever had a day that started out bad and got worse? you ever had those chapters in your life? Now, David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. and yeah, that nice? Because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, um, please bring me the ephod. Or please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? And shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue. For you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover how much, church? All of it. So this is the word of the Lord, and may God certainly add his blessing to the reading of his word. So let me catch you up to um, chapter 30. We left off last week at chapter 27. Again, that's where David just, he's tired, and so he goes, he just jumps the border, and, and everything that David intended to work out kind of works out. Pragmatically, it's a great decision. Here's how we know it was a bad decision, because he never consults God. Chapter 27 opens with, And David said in his own heart. You ever been there? I subtitled that sermon last week, I Got an Idea. (laughs) I don't know about you folks, but the times I've had an idea and tried to help God out um, did not turn out to be the best chapters in my life by a long shot. So here he is, off doing his own thing. We find out in that chapter he spent 16 months, almost a year and a half, in the enemy's territory and he's doing some sketchy stuff there and he's he's deceiving the king he's telling the king that he is literally raiding his own people in south judah and he's not he's raiding the amalekites and he's killing everybody leaving no one alive so no one can come back and tell king king achish any different so he's covering his tracks Um, my son paul at lunch last Sunday asked me, he said, so uh, so I told him I said I'm going to deal with chapter 30 next week. He said, you're not going to talk about chapter 28? Chapter 28 is a weird chapter. But what happens in chapter 28 is that Israel gathers for war against the Philistines and Saul, the king, goes to a witch and he has her summon the spirit of Samuel from the grave. Super strange, some wonky stuff in there. But it's there, right, and, and this, this Saul does not get good news. <laughs> Samuel is not happy. God is not happy with Saul. And he basically tells them, okay, you want to know what's going to happen? I'll tell you exactly what's going to happen. You're all dead. Your sons are going to die, and you're going to die. Good luck in the battle. And, and that's kind of how chapter 28 ends. So they're amassing for this war. Well, it's interesting when you go from there into chapter 29, it's like a, it's like the other, it's like a good movie. So we got Israel over here and Saul trying to figure out what's going to happen in his battle. And then over here on this side, we have the Philistines getting ready to come and, 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 and meet Saul in battle. And there's David. And David's with Achish. Achish and his army, including David and his 600 men, are at the back of the, of the entire uh, army of the Philistines. And the Bible tells us that they're presenting themselves to the to the leaders of Philistia. Remember, there's not just one king. There are several. Um, and as they're doing that, the last guys to come are David and his 600 men. And the other leaders say, Oh, hold on right there. Time out. No way this Hebrew is going with us as we fight against the Hebrews. Because we're going to be fighting them on the front, and then these guys are going to turn on us, and we're going to be fighting a battle on both sides. They're not going. And... And Achish is is flabbergasted. He can't believe it. He said, no, David, it's interesting. He said, in verse 3, I think he's David. He said, David has defected to me. He's one of us now. He could not change their minds. And so he has to go to David and say, guys, look, first light. Sleep here tonight, but as soon as it's light, first light, you got to go. Just go back to Zikali. We'll figure this out when we get back. Um, And so David and his men, first light. They start headed home. Now we find out as we open in chapter thirty, it takes them um, it takes them three days, two full days, and it appears that on the morning of the third day, um, they're getting close to home, and that's where we pick it up in chapter thirty. And you can imagine they're they're a little bit confused about what's going on. I don't know if there's relief there or what. I think I do think the plan of David was exactly what the other Philistine leaders saw coming Now he was going to attack them from the back Israel at the front and then hopefully that would ingratiate David to Saul is probably what his thinking was we don't know for sure but let me tell you brothers and sisters God is sovereign God protected David from himself and his own best ideas here it seems like up to now God is just letting David do whatever he wants but here God steps in and says, no, you're not doing that. And uh, we're not going to do it today. That's not the point of today's sermon. But boy, I tell you what, you could do a whole overview and study of the sovereign hand of God, starting with David and his guys being sent home. If David had been anywhere near that battle where Saul was killed, he would never have ascended the throne of Israel they would have held that against him. Or if David would have went and fought from the backside, Saul may have never been killed. The battle wouldn't have gone that way. And, and there's so many scenarios that just wouldn't work out for David. If David had been later in coming home to Ziklag being burned, he would have probably never recovered his wife, the wives, and his children. And, and his men probably would have stoned him do you see all of the hand of God all over this history in David's life? And remember, David's not right. He is, he is on a flesh trip doing David's thing. So he comes over the hill and he sees that the entire city is on fire. This, this, this town that he's been given, the whole thing. It, can, you, can you imagine the hearts of these men as they come over the city, the hill, and see everything's burned and nobody's there? It has got to be a really hard day. Here's the problem with David. He is in a condition that we've probably all been in or will be in at some point. The old preachers used to call it being backslidden. ever remember hearing that word, being a a backslidden Christian? All that means is you're not as close to God today as you were yesterday. Um, The dictionary defines it as this, to relapse into bad habits of sinful behavior and undesirable activities. One author says this, it is spiritual decay and it is a gradual process. If it came as a splash of cold water on the face on a sweltering day, we'd recognize it for what it is, but Satan is sly and his tactics are subtle. Even as the onslaught of many diseases can be insidious, the wasting away that occurs in the heart of the backslider may be nearly imperceptible. Happens slowly. He goes on to say this, applies this truth to a later period in David's life. The backslider does not suddenly wake up one morning and go out and commit adultery. Over a period of time, he may have become lax in his thought life or entertained fleshly desires. King David watched Bathsheba undress and soon it was but a little step for him to give expression to the imagination of his heart you see how this can happen so we got to ask ourselves was there ever a time that i was walking closer to god than i am today and if the answer is yes then that word that term backsliding or being a backslider i think it applies to us doesn't it 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 means to retreat what's the answer the answer is what david finds by the grace of god in this text and it's called repentance 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 is simply waking up to the fact that I am not where I need to be. You ever done that? God ever kindly brought you to that place of repentance in your life? I am not where I need to be. I'm not doing what I need to be doing. I miss walking closely with God. If we put off repentance another day, we have one more day to repent of and one less day to repent in why put that off and i'm going to urge you to think that through today so we're caught up with david in chapter 30 ziklag's on fire and now david finds himself in the press of god he is crushed by crushing circumstances um so that's point number one david has to repent Point number one. David has to repent, and what that means is he has to own his sin. He's got to own it. He's got to admit it. And that's hard for us sometimes because we're proud, isn't it? Right? Hard for us to own our sin because it makes us sad. But here he is. The city is burned, everybody's taken captive. <coughs> Everything that he has gained in the way of wealth of animals and and, and and materials in his raids over the last 16 months is gone. Everything he brought with him is gone. All it, it's like his bank account has been wiped out, but not just his. The bank account of 600 shady men. <laughs> and you're going to see in a minute, these were not all good guys. Most of them weren't good guys. Um, but David is comes over the hill and sees this and it, and he, he realizes, I think pretty quickly, this is all my fault. Have you ever been there? This whole thing, it, it's on me. It's on me. Um, it was David who led these men to enter Philistine territory. It was David who led these raiding parties. It was David who, who waged an unholy holy war and exterminated the life of every human being in these villages so nobody would be left to tell Achish what he was really up to. It was David who lied to Achish, the Philistine king. It was David who left Ziklag defenseless, left nobody there to defend her. It was David who did it all. And no wonder David's men are so angry because now David is rejected by the Philistines. He's plundered by the Amalekites, the very people he's been plundering, by the way, for the last 16 months. He's threatened by his own soldiers in verse number six. They're ready to stone him. And here's the problem, it's all his fault. He's got nobody to blame but himself. Because for the last 16 months, he's been living in enemy territory. For 16 months, he's been pretending to be loyal to the enemies of Israel. 16 months ignoring his own conscience. You ever done that? 16 months living by his own wits and his best ideas. 16 months doing it his way. And most importantly, 16 months away from God. Not one prayer is recorded. It's interesting to note, um, we see a lot of the Psalms have these little headers on them. And they tell us, kind of when they were written or what circumstances you know what we discover no psalms are written in the 16 months in Philistia not a one it's a dark period and now he's surveying the smoking ruins of Ziklag and he can't deny the truth what's the old saying all the chickens have come home to roost haven't they AND DAVID CAN'T BLAME ANYONE BUT HIMSELF. HERE'S THE PROBLEM. NOT ONLY DOES HE KNOW THAT, HIS 600 SHADY MEN KNOW THAT TOO. (laughs) AND IS IT NO WONDER THAT THESE MEN WEPT AND THEN WANTED TO STONE THEM? NOBODY WAS FOOLED. And you might jot this down, and I'll make a couple comments here. But it's very interesting to me that the Scriptures tell us, it doesn't have to, but it does so clearly. Verse 4, Then David and the people, the men who were with him, lifted up their voices, and they wept until they had no more power to weep. And David was with them. The next verse says his own wives were gone. He was, they were, they grieved this thing out. Um, And I know that's a little weird, a little bit for us. uh, Because we hear 600 hardened warriors, right? These guys were afraid of basically nothing. Um, 600 men that had seen fierce battle and knew how to fight, knew how to... These are the guys that you want defending you, right? Hard men. And what do we see them doing in this verse? They're not just shedding some tears, okay? And it's not like for 30 seconds. Like, can I just be honest? Like I cry, (laughs) right? When things get to me very rarely that I can't hold the tears back, it's about 30 seconds until I can control myself and stuff that feeling again and, and, and get, get control. Isn't it, is not it just me? Don't, you, don't look at me like, like you're not just like me, fellas. We are the worst about that. We're the worst. Not these, these were some serious manly men and they cried until they had no more tears. I don't know if I've ever done that. But I have a feeling I need to. And I bet you do too. We need to stop being afraid of those tears. Because tears begin the process of restoration. They really do. It's how God heals us. I've I've said this before, normally at funerals, when I encourage people to grieve. um, Years ago... Uh, when i began to do more funerals for the funeral home i wanted i started to study some things out specifically the funeral service itself Um, and found out that all people everywhere in all of all times that we have recorded in history from cave drawings to ancient writings everybody does something when somebody dies, there's a gathering of some sort to remember, and the only thing they have in common from pagan cultures to, to Jewish culture and Christianity, monotheistic, polytheistic, the only thing these gatherings have in common is the, is the purpose of them, which is to weep together. We mourn better together than we do separately. In that, I began to do a study and research some things about the human tear. And one of the most fascinating things I came across was a study, and it was I, I wish I could remember the school. It was one of the Ivy League colleges up north, a medical school, university. And it was a graduate uh, degree program. And these physicians and biologists who were going to be graduating soon in their senior project were examining and analyzing human tears. And so they collected all these tears, and they began to analyze them, and their results were all over. They found all kinds of stuff, but none of it was in any patterns or anything like that. It didn't make any sense. They couldn't trace anything. And then one of the students, the grad student, said to the professor, he said, what if if we categorize the tears before we analyze them? And the professor was intrigued, and he said, well, explain. He said, well, what if we collected tears of joy? So, for example, have you ever laughed so hard that you cried? I hope you have. Uh, Tears of joy. Um, Or or this. Has has someone ever surprised you that you haven't seen in a long time and and you open the door and they're standing there? And your heart, like a child, and your heart longs for them and when you see them? You can't hold the tears back? I remember seeing my own children for the first time. Right? It, it, It just you can't hold the tears happy tears tears of joy and gratefulness right and then he said what if we collect tears of deep grief and mourning such are shed in great loss funerals the tears that David and his men shed here and then we analyze them separate and the professor said that's a good idea let's do it and so they did And so they put those happy tears under the microscope and they analyzed them and and they didn't find anything remarkable Um, they found salt water molecules and water molecules not surprising because tears are wet and salty and they found a few trace proteins and a few things attached to them but no big deal but when they put the tears of deep grief and sorrow under that microscope what they found was intriguing and alarming to use their words in this study. Because what they found was salt and water molecules, but it was what was attached to them that was telling. Because attached to these salt and water molecules were what they called, their term, was free-ranging radicals. Well, that sounds like a terrorist to me. I don't know what that means. So I had to look that up, and it pretty much is a terrorist. It's a biological terrorist in your body. Those are toxins and poisons that are in your system. And if they find a good cell to grab a hold of, they know, we know for a fact, just through research, that some of those free-ranging radicals cause things like terminal diseases. And yet, is it not fascinating that in the times of our deepest pain and sorrow, as we obediently express Mourning through hot, hard tears that attach to them are the very things that can do us harm. How good is God? And how dumb are we? How dumb are we men? And I'm going to put myself at as, as the top of the list <sighs> that we swallow those tears and we let those biological terrorists loose in our body it's no wonder we die sooner than women maybe it's just because we've forgotten how to weep these guys didn't that's how come on those for me extremely rare occasions I can count on less than three fingers that I have truly wept and wept hard and uncontrollably what do you feel like after you're done doing that it's almost euphoric, isn't it? You feel such a sense of relief, and, and it's almost overwhelming. Well, there might be a biological reason for that. Maybe God's really that good. Well, that's what these guys did. They wept it out until there was no more power for them to weep. But here's a principle in here. this was on David and he brought this suffering not just on himself but on the guys that were following him and here's the problem they knew it they knew it and here's the here's the prevailing principle at work here and don't ever forget this and I want you to hear this wherever you are today God will not be ignored by his children doing your own thing you living by your best ideas right now god is watching and he's not going to let you ignore him forever i heard a guy say recently and i said oh man that's so true he said this he said god gives us teenagers so that we can know what it's like to create somebody who denies our own existence <laughs> isn't that true <laughs> listen god isn't going to put up with that forever amen Why? Because he loves us. No Christian gets away with sin. We're going to face the discipline rod of God sooner or later. And I'm going to say something here, and it it sounds crazy because we want to run away from that. The sooner, the better. The sooner God disciplines us over our sin, the better off we are. We need to be quick repenters. So David's life is a mess. It's, it's fallen apart, and now he comes to this moment of decision. Does he keep running with his own ideas, or does he turn to God? Is he going to continue, or is he going to compromise? Is he going to take the first step on the road home? A wise man once said this. He said, the truth will set you free, but it will hurt you first. Anybody experience that in your life? I had a brother tell me one time, an older brother pastor in the faith who had been through a lot. He said to me, before God uses a man greatly, he must wound him deeply. And I'm like, man, that's not what I want to hear. <laughs> I want the easy path. But that's never the answer, is it? until you're willing to face the hard truth about yourself you can never be set free and that's what happens to David at Ziklag. it's David's fault but he also encounters the severe mercy of God designed to bring him to his knees and get him on the road back home and it's, it is a good thing so step number two is up there David also had to remember and return to God what, are, what did David need to remember? I love this phrase in here. So they weep until they have no more power to weep. Like they cry themselves out of tears. And like I said, maybe that's the biggest takeaway for some of us today. We need to go home and do that, maybe some of us, right? Stop being afraid. Stop being a coward. And let those tears fall. And I'm mostly talking to myself today. Right? And then when they're all done, one or two things is going to happen. Tears either give birth to trust or bitterness. Those hot, hard, heavy tears either give birth to trust in your life or to bitterness. David's men gave birth to what? Bitterness. They said, okay, someone's going to pay for this. It's his fault. Let's stone them. What does David do? The Bible says, but David, I love that. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his, what? God. First time God's name shows up since he's been in Philistia. Since he's been over the border. 16 long months, David is relying on David. David. And God has brought him to the end of himself. And the Bible says he strengthens himself in the Lord is God. So here's the question. Why BH? And what's that stand for, church? Yeah, about yeah, how? Now, here, now I'll always shoot you straight in the text. The text does not tell us. We don't know from this text how David strengthened himself in the Lord. However, the Psalms are full yeah of the YBH of how David strengthened himself in the Lord so here's some thoughts and you can go discover the Psalms to back these up I think the first thing is David remembered who God is and who he was he got the relationship right he remembered God Okay, so anybody else in the room thinking to themselves, how could David forget God? <laughs> I mean, what, what had God done in this kid's life? I mean, he's just a boy keeping sheep. You know, and he gets a text and says, Come home quick. Dad needs to talk to you. <laughs> Not really, but you get the idea. So he rushes home, and Samuel's there with a horn of olive oil, and God says, That's the kid. And he anoints him with oil and says, You're going to be the king of Israel what you know what david does next he goes back to keeping sheep (laughs) that's it and you don't see him again in the in the historical narrative until dad sends him to the front lines to bring some bread and cheese to his brothers and to the commanders of his brother's company in the army and they're fighting the philistines and that's the whole goliath incident and david shows up again you know what happens with goliath goliath has a bad day because David would rather die than see God's name drag through the mud, right? And then <coughs> he hangs out with Saul at the palace. Things get wonky because people like David better than Saul. Saul tries to kill him a couple times and thus begins 10 years on the run. David now is reminded of who God is and who he is. And maybe more importantly, he was reminded whose God is and whose he was. As his son would write later in the Song of Songs, I am my beloved's and he is mine. And the banner that flies over me is love. Remembered who God was and who he was and that he belonged to God. And that because he belonged to God, God belonged to him. The Lord is my shepherd. And he realized, I've been that dumb sheep that ran away for 16 months. David came back and was powerfully reminded of his identity. David had been, by the way, you know how you know what your identity is? It's who you take your questions to. And for 16 months, David took his questions to David. And now he's reminded, nope, I take my questions to God. How do we know? What's the very next thing? These guys say, we're going to kill him. What's the very next thing? David says, bring me the ephod. And let's see what God, God, I've had plenty of ideas. It's led me to here. What's your idea? God, what do you want me to do? God answers. Isn't that amazing? He remembers his identity and he returns to God. I think he's also repeating God's promises here. Because when he was probably 13, 14 years old, God promised, you're going to be the king of Israel. Now, as he's remembering this, he's also hearing his 600 shady guys saying, gathering stones and we're going we're to we're execute him for this. But he's remembering God said, no, you're going to be king. And David knows they can't execute me and still have God be true. And I'm going to be king. And he starts to be reminded of God's promises in his life. And then I'm sure as he's standing there, he starts to reflect on God's faithfulness. (laughs) Boy, you know what? God did save me for 10 years. From Saul and I got tired and did some stupid stuff here, but it's stopping and it's stopping today. I'm 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 gonna repent. I'm gonna turn around. I've got to do things differently. And I think this was more than just a, a dry review of theology. I was talking to someone recently, and theology is great, I love it. Guys like Jay, uh, my son Paul, I said, we could sit around for hours and talk about theology. But you know what theology is good for? Absolutely nothing if it doesn't change what you do when you get up from talking about theology. I don't think David was rehearsing his theology. I think he was tracing God's finger in his life and seeing how faithful God was. These Amalekites had taken everything from him. But they couldn't take God. And God reminded David of that on that day. A lot of times, how many of you know this, when those trials come to us, that's the very place that we turn to God. Why? Because we come to the end of our resources and the end of ourselves. Peter, remember him, Luke 22? He says to Jesus, Let me tell you something. I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Anybody comes near you, i got a sword with their name on it. And Jesus says, Peter, you want to know what's really going to happen? Before the rooster crows, the announcement of the next day, you will have denied three times that you know me. And Peter, I'm thinking, Peter's saying this, I'll show you. Peter's going to prove him wrong. And he, he tries to do it. He cuts off the ear of the guy that comes to get Jesus. And what's Jesus do? He puts it back on. What in the world? I mean, he is not going to let Peter out because Peter's so full of Peter, he's no good to God or himself or anybody else. David was so full of David, he was no good for himself or anybody else. You know the end of Peter's first chapter. That rooster crows just as they're taking Jesus out of the high priest's courtyard. Peter's getting ready to run. The gig's up. They've already identified him three times. He's already, Peter's not stupid. He knows what it's like to be in a scrape and get out. He's already figured out where the exit is, and he gets up to run to the exit and literally turns, and there's Jesus staring him in the eye, and that rooster crows. And the Bible says he went out and wept. Bitterly. There he is. We're reminded in chapters like this that God is good even when circumstances are bad. Y'all believe that today? (laughs) Then let me give you a little quote from Corey Ten Boom. And, And it's a hard one. She says, deep in our hearts, we believe in a good God. Yet, how shallow is our understanding of his goodness? How, how often have I heard people say, oh, how good God is. We prayed that it wouldn't rain for our church picnic. And look at this lovely weather. And she says, yes, God's good when he sends good weather. But God was also good when he allowed my sister Betsy to starve to death before my eyes, in a German concentration camp. God is also good when your house catches fire and you lose nearly everything God gave you. God is also good when what He appears to be giving He takes back. And he puts you instead inside the press. Because here's what happens what's inside of you is revealed. The real David comes out. And David is not a forgetter of God or a denier in any way, he is a reliant servant most high God and when he's pressed that's what comes out and I've watched some of you in the press and I've seen God's praise come out through your tears and I've watched some in the press walk away and never return because what's inside comes out and it also betrays the lie of Facebook and it was around before Facebook people said it before we threw up all over the internet with stupid memes that said God will never give you anything more than you can handle that is the that's a stupid lie what a dumb thing to say God will always give you more than you can handle but never more than He can. Man, I look back over the last four years of my life, and there's nothing in there that I've been able to handle. And in fact, my attempts, much like David, have really turned into a mess. I've been in that press. And what's in me has come out, and I realize God's better than all that. And I don't got to keep track or keep score or try to figure it out or, God forbid, try to fix it. I'm just going to walk with him and be humble and obedient and fight for joy every single day. (laughs) And he's faithful. He's faithful. Real quick, let me give you this last one. I won't spend a lot of time on it. but The third step on a journey home is watching God restore. Watching David restore God's place in his life. God comes back to where he needs to be. Was it Paul says in Romans, it's your kindness that leads to repentance? How many of us, do we believe that? Because you know what? When you're in the press, God doesn't feel very kind because it hurts and your heart is breaking, your world is falling apart. And uh, there, I don't see any kindness in there, but it, there is even though it is a dark providence, there's a silver lining in those dark thunderstorm rain clouds. And it is that we find a God who truly is good. And what's inside of us comes out. And we've, we, God gives us a measure of repentance, a changing of the mind that leads to changing of behavior. And I don't know about you, I find it very hopeful That once David repented, he was immediately back in contact with God. Like nothing ever happened. There was no waiting. God didn't say, okay, I'm going to put you on a year's probation, and we'll talk at the end of that. I want to see how you do. And by the way, some of you treat people that way. Don't do that. God doesn't treat you that way. Aren't you glad that restoration is immediate? I'm so thankful for that. God's place in David's life is restored. You say, what do I need to do today, Pastor? Just what he did. First thing we gotta do is repent. <laughs> we just gotta own it. Stop lying to yourself about your sin. And I don't understand this, but I know experience, here, especially recently, talking about it helps. I go I go see a dear brother, Christian counselor, and I literally tell him everything. And it helps just for my ears to hear my voice admit my own mess and bad decisions, right? Thankfully, God's given me a wife who is way stronger than I am. I, I tell her, we have four hours driving home a couple Sundays ago, and I just spilled everything. And I owned it. I've I messed up. I've struggled, and I... I I've doubted. I've been plagued with doubt. But boy, when you when you speak it out into the open, you see it for what it is. You see the faultiness of it. You see, that doesn't look anything like me. I don't really believe that. I don't really think that. And as you're in the press, that beautiful precious olive oil comes out. That oil that is of such value and such expense is revealed as God is restored. And as we repent and as we return to God and God is once again enthroned on the throne of our life, we give the wheel over to God. I want to conclude this sermon with a quote from Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers. By the way, go on the internet and look up I don't know, just search Charles Spurgeon Ziglag sermon. Read this sermon. It's long, but oh every word is so rich. I've just taken a piece out of it to encourage you as we close today. Here's what Spurgeon said. If your confidence were in yourself, that wrong of yours might crush your hope. But since your confidence is in God and He has not changed, why should you fear? Oh, but I'm so sinful. Yes, I know you are. And so you were when he first looked upon you in love. Hear these words. If his love had sought to come to you by the way of merit, it never would have reached you. But it comes to you by way of free, rich, sovereign grace. And therefore, it will come to you forever. Don't you feel refreshed this morning as you think of what the Lord has done? And don't you feel that after doing so much it would be wrong now to distrust Him? Will you not even now encourage yourself in your God? Perhaps David at that moment perceived that this crushing blow was sent in infinite tenderness to clean Him right out of the condition into which He had fallen. The Lord seems to say to David, all that you have ever got of Achish is this village of Ziglag. And I have caused it to be burnt up so that you have nothing left to be a tie between you and Philistia. The princess said, I send this fellow away and they have sent you away. And now the town that Achish gave you is utterly destroyed. There is no link left between you and the Philistines and you have come back to your natural standing. And listen to how he ends this little section. The hardest blow that our God ever strikes if it puts us right and separates us from self, sin, and carnal policy, it is a blow of love. If it ends our life of selfishness and brings us back into the life of trust, it's a blessed blow. When God blesses his people most, it is by terrible things in righteousness. He smote David in order to heal him. He fetched him out from the snare of the Philistine fowler and delivered him from the noisome pestilence of heathen association by a way that brought the tears into his eyes till he had no more power to weep. Now the servant of the Lord begins to see the wonderful hand of God and he shall yet say, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I have kept your word. Do not fear to repent. Do not fear the severity of God's grace and His mercy. Know that God puts you in His press in order to reveal what is worthless and capture what is most valuable, which is a heart to follow after Him. Is that you? Do we have some repenting to do today? I believe we do. Maybe you're here today and say, Preacher, you sound like a crazy man up there. None of this makes sense to me. It's because you've never once known God through His Son, Jesus Christ. You have never once been confronted with your sin and owned it, and seen that sin placed into the sinless Lamb of God on the cross of Calvary. To hear him cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You have never once understood through the Spirit that the answer to that question is so that God would not forsake you. Someone who has not deserved an ounce of God's love, but rather a ton of his wrath. It's because you do not know this God who loves so much that he gives so great a price for a life like yours. And you must do what David did. You must repent of your sin today. You must remember God and you must come to him in faith. And you must understand that God is the owner of your life. And when he owns you, he is also yours. And you can honestly say, the Lord is my shepherd and has given me all that I need. If that's not you today, I urge you to obey the gospel. Right now, don't even dare leave this place without putting your faith in Jesus and turning from your sin. It may take more time than that and you may need to weep until your tears are no more and that's a good thing. We have some weeping to do. We have some repenting to do. God must be on the throne of our life. May we learn this from David's life. And may we take the first steps on the path to home today. Would you stand with me as I pray? We're going to sing a song, and it's funny, I did not pick these songs, but if I could have, I would have picked every one for its purpose of its message. And our response song today, For You to Turn to Christ for you to repent through. It's called, He Will Hold Me Fast. And I love this song because of the words that God is faithful even when we are not. Anybody glad for that today? Amen. Flee to Christ. Obey the gospel. Repent of your sin. Stop lying to yourself. (laughs) Own it. Embrace the press of God because He is doing marvelous things through the pain of hard times. Father, we come to you today and we, we, we thank you. We thank you for the press. We thank you for the pain that brings about the beautiful fruit of repentance, a changed mind that, that is translated into behavior that is honoring to you and obedient to your law. Pray that you would find that in us today. That we would stop making excuses for our sin and our behavior and instead just own it, call it what it is, and say, God, you're right, we're wrong. And we seek your forgiveness, your grace, and your mercy. And we put you back where you always have been, but we've ignored, and that is in control. And we will seek you for everything. Everything and trust you for all things. And we pray that this would be done to the glory and majesty of your name today. In Jesus' name, amen.